Good news. Two words that are always amazing to hear. And this week, we've had the, the joy of hearing some wonderful good news. Um, as we have heard Friday morning that our Supreme Court overruled Roe versus Wade. Uh, it is incredible news for us as Christians to think uh, that the God to whom we have prayed for 49 plus years, almost 50 years, uh, and sometimes we have prayed in faith but wondering, will it really happen? Uh, friends, it happened. The God that we as Christians call out to is a God who answers prayer and is able to do amazing things. Good news. It is wonderful to, to celebrate and hear of what God has done in our nation. Uh, but this is just the beginning uh, of, a, of a new season in, in the life of this country. And we need to continue to pray that God will continue to work in mighty and powerful ways. Good news. We have announced to you that we will be commissioning Ruth this morning. And it happened. Praise be to God. But I have another good news. And that good news is found in the book of Romans. And this good news is ongoing. And I pray that it would be ongoing for us in our gathering today. That it would be going ongoing for us in the weeks, months, and years to come. Here in Austin, as we witness here, and that it would be going to the nations. This morning, we will begin working through the book of Romans. When uh, Martin Luther translated the book of Romans into German for the first time, he wrote these words as a preface to his translation uh, of the book of Romans. This epistle is, in truth, the chief part of the New Testament and the purest gospel. It would be quite proper for a Christian not only to know it by heart, word for word, take that as a challenge, but also to study it daily, for it is the soul's daily bread. It can never be read or meditated too much and too well. The more thoroughly it is treated, the more precious it becomes, and the better it tastes. Well, today we are starting a series through this wonderful book. Many Christians have heard messages from their various parts of the book of Romans. As a matter of fact, as a pastor, I have preached often through various parts of the book of Romans. But if we were to ask, what is Romans about? What would you say? What is Romans about? Well, in order to help us answer that question, I invite you to read, let's read together the introduction and the closing of the book. The introduction of the book is found in Romans 1, 1 through 17, and then Romans 15, verse 14, to the end of the, chap of the book. I'll be reading the introduction and the conclusion of this book, and then we're going to work together on understanding what the book of Romans is about. And we will try to do it in a fairly quick fashion. Let's listen to God's word this morning. Romans chapter 1, verse 1. 
Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing, I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow, by God's will, I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you, that is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Now we turn to the end of the book. The conclusion of this letter begins in chapter 15, verse 14. Romans 15, 14. I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another. But on some points, I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder, because of the grace given me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God, so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. In Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God, for I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Elycrium, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. And thus, I make it my ambition 
to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation, but as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. This is the reason why I have so often been hindered from coming to you. But now, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, and since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and to be helped on my journey there by you once I have enjoyed your company for a while. At present, however, I am going to Jerusalem, bringing aid to the saints. For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. For they were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings, they ought also to be of service to them in material blessings. When therefore I have completed this and have delivered to them what has been collected, I will leave for Spain by way of you. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf, that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints so that by God's will, I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. May the God of peace be with you all. Amen. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church at Chancria, that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and help her in whatever she may need from you, for she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. Greet Prisca and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risk their necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. Greet also the church in their house. Greet my beloved Epinetus, who was the first convert to Christ in Asia. Greet Mary, who has worked hard for you. Greet Andronicus, and Junia, my kinsmen, and my fellow prisoners. They are well known to the apostles, and they were in Christ before me. Greet Ampilatus, my beloved in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ, and my beloved Stachus. Greet Apelles, who is approved in Christ. Greet those who belong to the family of Aristobulus. Greet my kinsmen, Herodian, greet those in the Lord who belong to the family of Narcissus. Greet those workers in the Lord, Tripena and Trophus. Greet the beloved Persis, who has worked hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord. Also his mother, who has been a mother to me as well. Greet Asyncritus, Phlegon, Hermas, Patrobas, Hermas, and the brothers who are with them. Greet Philologus, Julia, Nereus, and his sister, and Olympus, and all the saints who are with them. 
Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ greet you. I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. For such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. And by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. For your obedience is known to all, so that I rejoice over you. But I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent as to what is evil. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Timothy, my fellow worker, greets you. So do Lucius and Jason and Sosipater, my kinsmen. I, Tertius, who wrote this letter, greet you in the Lord. Gaius, who is host to me and to the whole church, greets you. Erastus, the city treasurer, and our brother Quartus greet you. Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations, according to the command of the eternal God, to bring about the obedience of faith to the only wise God, be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. This is how the book of Romans begins and ends. So what do you think it is about? Well, you might say, Pastor, you left out from the reading. The main part. When most Christians think about the book of Romans and what it is about, a common answer is it is about key doctrines of our faith. Doctrines like justification by faith alone, in Christ alone. Or doctrines like divine election. Clearly, this letter is rich in the doctrines of God's grace. It includes teaching about why anyone should become a Christian, how anyone can become a Christian, what it means to be a Christian, how to live as a Christian, all of these and much more are presented in this book with incredible richness. Uh, the divine truths expounded in this book have revolutionized leaders, people throughout the history of the church. When the church had gone in, in wrong directions, the Lord used the study of this book to bring back the church to the doctrines of grace. God used the reading of Romans to convert Augustine from his pagan lifestyle. Yes, it was a, a verse in the book of Romans that God used to bring Augustine to himself. God used the reading of Romans to convert a priest in the 15th century, Martin Luther to convert him from his religious lifestyle and the trap of self-righteousness that he was so committed to live out. God used Luther's preface to the book of Romans to convert John Wesley 
Wesley was listening to another believer read Luther's preface to the book of Romans. And he says he found his heart, quote, strangely wormed as John Wesley listened to Luther's preface to the book of Romans. God used the book of Romans to convert a Romanian Eastern Orthodox priest by the name of Dumitru Cornilescu, who ended up translating the Bible into the Romanian language. And it is still the translation that most evangelical churches use today uh, in Romania. The list of great impact that this letter has had throughout the history of the church is very long. But I pray that our study of this book will make an impact on us as well. The book of Romans is not merely about the rich doctrines of God's grace. It is about that. But there's a little more to say about that, that simply saying it is about the rich doctrines of God's grace. What caused the Apostle Paul to write this letter? What was he seeking to accomplish? Was he just trying to write a systematic theology, as some would like to look at the book of Romans? If we're going to understand what the message of Romans is, we must understand it in its historical context. And the introduction and the conclusion of the book give us some important clues. The historical reasons why Paul would write this letter through his scribe, Tertius. If you picked up on the conclusion, it was the scribe who actually was the one to whom Paul dictated the letter. But Paul is the one who is the author of the book, working through this scribe, Tertius. When we understand what is the reason that caused Paul to, to begin writing this letter, we may understand something of the, the sweetness and the well-roundedness of this book and what its message is. Even though the book of Romans has many similarities with the book of Galatians, uh, the situation of the churches to which Paul wrote these letters is vastly different. In Galatians, and we were in Galatians a few months ago, in Galatians, Paul was appalled, shocked, that the churches of Galatia have turned so quickly from the gospel to a different gospel. But in Romans, Paul says several times in, in his introduction and in the closing of the letter how satisfied he feels about the church in Rome. So why did Paul write this letter? Well, there's, I think, three reasons why he wrote this letter. And these three reasons will help us understand what the book is about. In chapter 15, Paul tells us that he was planning to go on a new mission trip to Spain. And on that journey, he was finally able to get to visit the church of Rome for the first time. What's amazing is that Paul wrote this incredibly rich letter to a church that he has actually never visited. To a church that he did not know personally as a church. He knew many people in the church. Uh, as, the, as the list of greetings shows us. But he had not visited this church. But there was a desire in his heart to visit the church 
in the capital of the Roman Empire at the time. Paul wrote this letter to prepare them for his visit and to encourage the church to be generous to give for the spread of the gospel among, his, among the nations through his ministry, which, we, which he would go on to do in Spain. The first reason Paul wrote this letter to Romans was to solicit financial support because he was on the way to Spain to make the gospel known among the nations. He wrote this letter for the sake of missions. I think that's important for us to know and say. Because as often as we are so zoomed in on, on, on doctrine and, and the rich truths of this book, sometimes we may forget that this was written for the sake of missions. But why write so elaborately on the gospel if he, he, if he was simply asking them for financial support? The second reason why he wrote this book follows and is connected to the first reason. If Paul is asking the Church of Rome to support him in the missions work to Spain, and if the Church of Rome has not had an opportunity to interact with Paul personally, this is the way that Paul wants to present himself and his theology and the message that he's proclaiming to this church so that they would know what they would consider supporting. It's also important to recognize that at some point in the book, uh, Paul mentions this specifically, but it's helpful to, re to remember that as famous and amazing Paul was as an apostle, there were rumors about Paul. Rumors that were slandering him and attributing to him views that were not true. So, for example, in Romans chapter 3, verse 8, you don't have to turn there, Paul makes a reference. He says, And why not do evil that good may come? As some people slanderously charge us with saying. In other words, uh, when Paul wrote this letter and seeking to solicit financial support from the Church of Rome, to a congregation that did not know him personally, he feels he needs to address some of the objections of rumors that were going about Paul out there. So this letter is written to clarify Paul's own message and the truth that he would be promoting and proclaiming among the nations. Because such slanders were going on about Paul, he now takes time to unpack what God revealed to him about the relationship between the law and the gospel, the relationship between the flesh and the spirit, the relationship between the Jews and Gentiles, the relationship between the church and Israel. So in light of the mission support that Paul hopes to solicit from Rome, he wrote this letter to present his views openly and clearly. And then a third reason why Paul wrote this letter such an extensive letter is because there were some relational challenges in the Church of Rome that needed some attention. The Jewish and Gentile Christians in the church 
it's not that they were in a big conflict with one another, but there were some simmering attitudes of boasting against each other, of being suspicious of each other because of their ethnic and religious backgrounds. So these attitudes caused Paul to expound on the richness of the gospel of God for the sake of their church, to help deal with some of those simmering tensions. These are the reasons why Paul would go out of his way to write such a long letter, rich in doctrine, rich in theology, rich in the gospel of God's grace. He wrote it because he wanted the Christians of Rome to assist him on his missionary journey. He wrote it to present his views on the gospel. He wrote it to encourage the church to live out the gospel in their life together as a church. So what is the book of Romans about? This week my challenge was not merely to try to summarize and give an overview of the whole book in one sermon. But I gave myself the challenge to think of how I could summarize it in one sentence. How would you summarize the whole book of Romans in one sentence? And here is my one feeble attempt. It's still a work in progress. It is not the definitive summary on the book of Romans, but here's what I would present to you today at the beginning of this book. The book of Romans, the message of the, of the book of Romans is that the gospel of God reveals His righteousness for all who believe. So respond personally, corporately, and missionally. The gospel of God reveals His righteousness for all who believe. So respond personally, corporately, and missionally. Let's unpack this sentence, and then we'll make some applications, and we'll be done. What is the book of Romans about? I would present to you that it's about three big ideas, three big things. But before we look at these three big things, let's just do a quick overview of how the book is organized. The book has two major parts. The first part is chapters 1 through 11. It includes the, the revelation of the truths of the gospel and of the Christian life. The second part starts in chapter 12 and focuses on applications of how to live the gospel in our horizontal relationships, in our corporate relationships, both in the church and in society. As one Bible teacher put it, though, a danger in application, when we think about application, is that we tend to look for things to do. But in Romans, much of the applications will involve a change in our thinking. That's why the transition from the first half to the second half in chapter 12 begins with this appeal that Paul makes in Romans 12, 1 and 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, which he has presented in the first 11 chapters, 
to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That's why the largest portion of Romans seeks to inform how we think, how we should think about God, about sin, about Christ, about our response, about the Christian life at a personal level and then at a corporate level. That's why even though the first part of the book deals with key doctrines of the faith, the applications of this book start with a renewal of the mind with transforming our minds to have the right thoughts about God. So, what is Romans about? Romans is about the gospel of God. Romans is about the gospel of God. The very introduction, the very few verses in the intro bring up the gospel five times. And then the conclusion brings up the gospel again a few more times. In the very first verse, verse 1, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. In the Greek language, the word gospel means literally good news. But this good news that Paul speaks of is not merely man's good news. It is God's good news. The book of Romans is about Good news from God, about God. Verse 9, Paul describes the gospel as a gospel of his son. Now, just because people preach this news does not mean that our message is of human origins. In the last few verses of the letter, at the very end of the book, Paul will describe this gospel as according to my gospel. That doesn't mean that the gospel is a human gospel. It simply means that the gospel that Paul uh, preached and proclaimed uh, was not his gospel, even though he declared it, it was from God. Paul speaks of the gospel as my gospel simply because he proclaims the gospel of God. It is a good news from God to the world. But what is this good news? from God. In verse 17 of chapter 1, the, the, the closing of the introduction, in verse 17, Paul says that in this gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. In other words, it's a righteousness that is to be heard with faith and to be producing faith. It is for faith. The good news of the gospel is a news of how God acts perfectly and rightly on behalf of sinners who respond to him by faith. That's why in the gospel, the gospel reveals the righteousness of God, the perfection of God, the right acting of God. Now, how did God act perfectly and rightly on behalf of sinners? Well, he did it by sending his son Jesus to be the righteousness that we could not attain on our own. 
so that the people who want to be righteous before God can only do so by putting their faith and trust in the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who and through whom God accomplished uh, a righteousness that we could not do on our own. Through His death, through His resurrection from the grave, God accomplished His righteousness for us. The first half of the book of Romans will unpack this righteousness of God for sinners. Will show us how God removes the condemnation of our sin and satisfies His wrath against our sin through the death of Jesus as a substitute for sinners who turn to God by faith. Paul will show throughout this letter how the righteousness of God is the solution to our sin, to our sin problem. That's in, ver- in chapters 1, 2, and 3. How the righteousness of God is the solution to our sin problem. Then in chapters uh, 3 and 4, Paul shows us how this righteousness of God is to be received by faith alone. And gives us the example of Abraham. Then in chapters 5, 6, 7, and 8, Paul shows us how the righteousness of God produces in us a new obedience, changing our nature, putting a new law inside of us, and giving us a new identity. This new obedience, this new law, and this new identity becomes real in us through the Holy Spirit of God who takes residence inside all those who turn to the Lord by faith. Then Paul shows us in chapters 9, 10, and 11 how the righteousness of God affects how Jews and Gentiles treat each other in the church. When people understand the righteousness of God correctly, they will have to grasp the doctrine of unconditional election. And that should lead people not to boast against each other, but to trust humbly in God's mercy. So if we look at the first major part of the book of Romans, chapters 1 through 11, we see how the gospel of God is about the righteousness of God, dealing with our wrath-deserving sin, to be received by faith in Christ, being brought by the Spirit of God into a new identity, being given a new nature, And the result of that is that there is a new obedience of faith and a new community because God's unconditional election is at work through the proclamation of the gospel of the righteousness of God by faith. So Romans is about the gospel of God, which reveals His righteousness to all who believe. Second, a second thing Romans is about, Romans is about the church living in unity as the elect people of God. Romans is about the church living in unity as the elect people of God. Even though there's no major crisis that Paul is seeking to address, there are several areas in the church of Rome that needed to be strengthened, tightened up, 
And these areas relate to how Jewish and Gentile Christians who are treating each other in the church. The simmering disunity, the feelings of superiority that each camp felt over each other, their ethnic differences, which all led to their superficial biblical understanding, contributed to their disunity. Three significant sections of the book address their superficial biblical understanding and their distorted attitudes towards each other. Sometimes people think that Paul is only dealing with an issue between Jews and Gentiles only in chapters 9 through 11 or chapters 14 and 15. But no, Paul is dealing with an issue, the tension between Jews and Gentiles uh, from chapter 1 and 2. As a matter of fact, when dealing with the doctrine of sin, Paul spends his longest time convincing the Jews that the Gentiles are not the only ones declared unrighteous before God. Paul actually spends most of his time in, that, in the first section of, of the book of Romans, in chapters 1, 2, and 3, convincing the Jews that they too are unrighteous before God, even though they've had God's law. So they should not feel superior to the Gentiles just because they grew up with God's law or just because God gave them the law first. When dealing with the doctrine of election... Paul spends a lot of time convincing the Gentiles not to look down on the Jews just because God brought in the Gentiles through the rejection that the Jews had towards Jesus. When dealing with their dietary differences between Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians, Paul is challenging the Gentile Christians not to feel superior to their Jewish brothers and sisters because of their new freedom in Christ and not to destroy their Jewish brothers and sisters uh, whose consciences were still bound to the Old Testament dietary laws. Throughout this letter, Paul wrote to both camps, sometimes the Jews, sometimes the Gentiles, helping them understand why they are equal before God equal in their sin and equal in their need for the righteousness of God. That none of them are in a better position in either of those categories. And because somehow their theology was superficial about those realities, it led them to feel boastful against the other. So a deficient and superficial theology actually produced the kind of disunity, the kind of cold, uh, suspicious attitudes that they had towards each other. This is why Paul writes a detailed and rich explanation of the gospel to the church of Rome. So that their relationships with one another would deepen to reflect the change that God brought to them on the inside because of the mercies of God for both. Friends, the book of Romans will help us connect the dots from the truth of the gospel to living out the implications of the gospel for the life of the church. Our life together as the church must be a reflection of the new life that God has given to each of us through the gospel of his son. This means that Paul's strategy, 
to help the Church of Rome grow in their maturity, in their quality and depth of relationship, was to get them back to the richness of the gospel of God. The gospel of God was not only for the Gentile non-converts. The gospel of God was for the church of Rome as well. Growing together in the depth of the gospel should grow us closer to one another as well. And a third area, what Romans is about, we said it's about the gospel of God. It's about the local church and the unity of the church as the one elect people of God. But the third thing that Romans is about, it's about global missions. Romans is about global missions. The very introduction made it very clear that Paul's apostleship was for the Gentiles. In chapter 1, verse 5, he says that he received his apostleship for this purpose, to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations. And if you read the conclusion of the book, Paul reminds the Christians in Rome that his entire missionary task was to promote the spread of the gospel where Christ was not yet named. He had a particular challenge and task as an apostle. He says in chapter 15, verse 20, Thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation, but as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. What a great promise for Paul to hang on to. But God's promise to bring strangers to see and understand the gospel did not keep Paul at home. Did not get Paul to be lazy about evangelism and missions. It fueled Paul's flame and eagerness for evangelism and missions to go into new territories. Friends, Romans was not written in the ivory tower of scholarly writings. Romans was written by an apostle who was completing a missions journey and was about to begin a new one. And he's trying to get people to join him in that mission's work. This entire book is written while Paul was taking a love offering from some of the Gentile churches for the Christians in the church in Jerusalem. So have you ever considered reading Romans as a missionary tract? Presenting the gospel in its richness by following the argument of the book of Romans will lead you from the beginning to the end missions, either to be a goer or to be a sender, either to be sacrificial in going or being sacrificial in sending. You can't read Romans and just stay stuck with systematic theology. Romans, when rightly understood, would flame the flame of missions. So these are the big things that Romans is about. Yes, there's so much stuff that Romans will touch on. But we must stop at these three things this morning. What is Romans about? It's about the gospel of God. Which reveals the righteousness of God. 
by faith in Jesus. It's about the church living in unity as the elect people of God. It's about global missions. So let me make four quick applications for us in light of these reasons. Number one, the gospel must be understood in its God-centered richness. The gospel must be understood in its God-centered richness. Occasionally I hear people who desire to make the gospel clear by focusing on its simplicity. And the gospel is simple. The gospel has a simple message. It is about the righteousness of God to be believed and embraced by faith. It is true that this message is simple. But sadly, in a desire to keep the gospel simple, what ends up happening is that the simplicity turns the gospel into a man-centered effort or into a reductionistic easy believism. The gospel that is introduced in chapter 1 goes throughout the book of Romans. It is still the gospel by the, end, by the time you get to the end of Romans. So we must understand it while trying to make it simple and clear. We must make sure that we hold God at the center of the gospel. What humanity needs is not merely a self-improvement. What humanity needs, what you and I need, is God's righteousness. And we need that righteousness to be applied to us. And it, it can be credited to us when we respond to this gospel by turning away from our sin and trusting in Jesus alone. Well, friends, this is why we must preach that the gospel calls people to respond by faith alone, in Jesus alone. If you're here and have not yet responded to this gospel, it'd be sad for us to talk about the gospel, what it is, how Romans speaks about it, and not give you an opportunity and a call and appeal to you have you responded to this gospel of God's righteousness for sinners? Have you responded to it by faith? Have you placed your entire reliance on Jesus alone? Because he is the righteousness of God for us. We must ask people to respond to the gospel, but we must do so without losing the fact that God is at the center of this gospel, not man. A second application the gospel produces real change in sinners who turn to God by faith. Just because the gospel has a God-centered richness does not mean that we should not be concerned about the effects of the gospel in our lives. The Spirit of God uses the gospel of God to bring new life into us. And the Spirit of God applies the law of God to our hearts so now it produces a new obedience. And Romans calls it the obedience of faith. Did you notice how that's how it starts and how it ends? The apostleship of Paul was to bring about the obedience of faith. Oh, friends, when sinners turn to God by faith, the Spirit law writes the law of God on our hearts and thus fulfills the promises of the new covenant as they were prophesied in the Old Testament, book of Ezekiel and book of Jeremiah. Oh, friends, this new obedience is at odds with our sinful nature that remains in us. So the book of Romans helps us understand not only that what the gospel is, but what a Christian is once God has produced this real change in us. A third application, the gospel produces loving churches 
with harmonious, horizontal relationships. The gospel produces loving churches with harmonious, horizontal relationships. Friends, not surprisingly, the section about the doctrine of election and the relationship between the Gentiles and the Jews in the church gives way to chapters 14, I mean 12 through 14, which calls the people of God to love each other, not to pass judgments on each other, and welcoming one another in Christ. Friends, have you considered how a right understanding of the gospel and of the doctrines of grace should produce more loving relationships among us? Getting deeper into doctrine should not produce cold Christians. Sadly, in our sinful nature, our knowledge puffs us up. And we begin boasting with one another or against each other of how much doctrine we might know. But according to the book of Romans, when we understand the richness of God's truth and the doctrines of, the, of grace, it should actually lead us to more loving relationships, not less. The book of Romans challenges us to see that when we understand doctrine rightly, it should lead to humility and love, not boasting and suspicion. And the last application, the gospel of God produces a burden for the nations. The gospel of God produces a burden for the nations. You can't read Romans and simply be amazed by its rich doctrine without seeing why all of this mystery was revealed. It was so that the nations might hear it. Missions and theology are not at odds with each other in the book of Romans. Sadly, they are at odds with one another in our churches. They are at odds with one another in our lives. Oh, I'm just, I, I'm, I'm a very practical guy. I'm not, I'm not all in, in the theoretical, abstract stuff. I wanna, I'm very practical. I just want to be on the mission field. Oh, I'm not like those superficial missionaries. I, I want to get deep into God's word and study it and know it, the, the Greek and the Hebrew and the Latin and so forth. Oh, friends, missions and theology in Romans are friends. They work together, not apart. Yet people often contrast doctrine or outreach. Seminaries have schools of theology and school of missions. But Romans does not want us to separate these. You are a good missionary when you are a good theologian. And you are a good theologian when you have a burden for the nations to know that theology and that revelation of God. And same goes for the local church. Local churches are to support the spread of the gospel to all nations. Which is why I think it's so amazing that we get to do this today. That we, I get to preach on this today. That we get to send Ruth out today. And I pray that the Lord would help us grow in our zeal to put our theology into practice. The burden for evangelism and missions should lead to seeing local churches established. This is why we're excited to be able to send Ruth to the Middle East. Ruth, we want to encourage you as you go to the Middle East, as you have a burden to share Christ, grow in your theology. And as you grow in your theology, continue to grow in your burden to make him known. Because all that theology is for the sake of the nations. The nations need to hear the richness of the gospel. From God's call 
to the atoning sacrifice of Jesus, to the call to respond by faith, to the doctrine of election, it's all the gospel. So make it known. Oh, friends, when we understand the gospel in its richness, we cannot keep it only to ourselves. And this is what we see in the book of Romans. I think the book of Romans is a missionary letter with a rich doctrine. Because Paul wanted to make sure that we understand the richness of the doctrines of grace is for the sake of missions manifested through the life of the local church. So what is the book of Romans about? It's about the gospel of God that reveals his righteousness for all who believe. So respond personally, corporately, and missionally. Let's pray. Father, we praise you for the amazing revelation that you have given to us through your servant Paul, the apostle, so that through his writings, you have given to us the mystery of the gospel for the sake of the nations, for the sake of our salvation, for the sake of the building up of your church, for the sake of missions. Father, we pray that this gospel will grow sweetly in our hearts, that we would grow in understanding it deeply and that we would grow in understanding it widely. We pray all this, Father, so that our hearts may be burdened to respond to you personally, to respond to you as a church and to be burdened for the sake of the nations. We pray this in the name of Christ. Amen. Amen. Would you please stand and let us sing in response to the call to be knowledgeable of the deep riches of faith in Christ, the call to send missionaries out so they might be even more glad and joyous as they receive the gospel. Let us sing to let the nations be glad. This is why we exist as a church, that as we proclaim the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, we are a means by which the Lord brings the nations to his eternal gladness. Thank you all for joining us today for this special service. What a privilege it is to be gathered in the name of Christ, to hear his word, to sing his praises, to commission uh, one among us uh, to the mission field. And let's continue to live and to believe and to embrace this gospel by faith and to commit to pray for Ruth, to support her, to encourage her in her work. Ruth, it's been a joy to have you here today and to sing this song particularly today as you are going to the nations. Uh, you will be an extension of our church so that through you, the word of the gospel that is being preached here uh, will be preached in Jordan and in the other parts of the world that the Lord will take you. Let's close our time together in a final prayer. After the prayer, we'll have a few moments of silence in which we encourage you to respond to the Lord personally in your own heart. And then when the piano resumes, we'll be dismissed. Let's pray. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever.